CBP stories are behind the scenes looks at the lives of your peers who have had an inspiring journey to become who they are today. We hope that their experiences and insight will help you better yourself in some way. Cheers. Hello there. I am extremely excited for my conversation today with Alex Coral of Sobos Ship Compliant. Now, Alex, you've been so active in CBP. You've spoken on quite a few panels. You've led some panels. You've presented a lot of it's on direct consumer based conversations. But today we're going to get a little more personal and I can't wait. But I have to ask you to start. What's been the highlight of your day so far? Oh, the interesting question. Yeah. Hi, Andrew. Hi, everybody. Thank you for, for letting me come here and speak a little bit more on a personal level. So interesting. I don't have to rattle off a bunch of laws and regulations for once. Um, see the highlight of my day, actually it's, uh, would be a little bit more of a, a regulatory thing is I, I had another uh, webinar presentation today. I was speaking with the national liquor law enforcement agency or, or association this morning. So uh, I, I guess it's a little bit, not necessarily the funnest thing, but a little bit more what's, what's caught my, uh, my, 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 kept my attention today. Uh, otherwise it's just been sort of a, a nice kind of quiet day here. Um, just looking outside the window, seeing the squirrels playing snow, that sort of stuff. Sounds like a great video my kid would love to watch. It's a squirrel fiddling around in the cold weather. Yeah, yeah. I've got a great tree right outside my window, and yeah, they, they just play up and down. I think that they even started spying on me in reverse, so you know <laughs> how they feel. Well, Alex, I want to start today with another really tough question, and this has been something that I've wanted to ask you for some time. I'm really glad for the opportunity. What was it like to win Jeopardy by one dollar? Uh, I don't actually remember. I thought I won it by more than that. Uh, and for everyone was, who hasn't seen or heard, you are a Jeopardy champion. So yes, that is yes. amazing in itself. Yeah, that's that's the important part. No, it was definitely you know one of those things that is. I think everybody who goes on the show, it's a lifetime goal. Whether they you know grew up watching it as a kid or just are sort of a trivia person, that's you know, the, the plus ultra of, of trivia out there. So uh, maybe that's, it was also a rush. So that's maybe why I don't remember specifically that that dollar amount, but it was uh, such a great time, such really an honor and, and a chance to get out there and to have, you know, my name in some sort of, of uh, legacy that will live forever is, yeah, they can't take that, that championship title away from me, even if it was just for one day. Uh, but well, it's an opportunity very, very few people have. And being a lifelong Jeopardy fan myself, I used to watch every single night. And before, you know, we officially met, the first time I probably saw you through a screen, I'm looking at this guy. I'm like, why does he look familiar? And then I was talking to John with Craft Peak, who I know is a mutual friend of both of ours. And he mentioned, dude, you didn't know this about Alex? <laughs> and that, it was fascinating from that moment. But, you know, Thinking about winning Jeopardy by a dollar, and I understand the rush that you were probably going through because I can't even imagine that feeling. But, you know, when you're there, you're going through final Jeopardy. I've always been amazed at how quickly contestants can calculate the right wager to just win by a dollar. You know, so those 30 seconds or so when the theme song is playing, you're writing your answer down in your wager. You know, how much time is spent doing the math to calculate, well, I need this amount to win by one? Um, yeah. So I think, and you know, it was, uh, as I remember, I was up by a fair amount 
uh, at the end of it. So it wasn't like, you know, we were, we were neck and neck and I had to bet everything. I think I only betted about, uh, you know, $3,000 or so at, for final. Uh, and, and I hope I'm not going to uh, get any Jeopardy producers mad at me or anything, but you actually <laughs> do get a lot more time uh, to, to do that calculations. They give you about a minute. They give you pen and paper to really figure it out. They want to make sure that you are betting what you are, what you want to, you, you're getting all that, that uh, accurately down. So it wasn't too difficult for me uh, to, to manage that. Um, you know, we, we had time to figure it out. Um, you know, honestly, I'm a little bit more, and this is maybe just the different quality of possible Jeopardy champions out there is um, my, my second day was actually the first day of uh, James Holzhauer. Uh, who went on to win for the next, uh, I guess, 30-something days, win almost $2.5 million. And he was very famous for uh, for basically betting amounts that would result in numbers that were uh, birthdays like for his family. Yeah, to his family and whatnot. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, especially when he's doing that for a daily double, and that is in real time. I mean, that that that's just a... a orders of magnitude math ability better than I do. I, you know, had a minute and basically had even numbers to, to multiple add up and down. So, uh, not, not, not too difficult, I guess, to get to that $1, uh, amount. And, and that's why I think I recognized you. Cause I remember watching his run very vividly on TV. So I probably saw you a couple of times before you officially met. Yeah. I, I was going to say that must be a really good memory. If you, uh, did, did actually just have a, a, a memory of my my face on there from those couple of appearances or i tried to go face to face now so looking at how you got there we're going to go into a lot of concepts today about your life but i imagine that was a lifelong goal of yours to be on jeopardy um yeah absolutely that was that was actually one of the uh you know you have them that was back in the days when alex trebek was was still hosting was was still right there um, and that was one of the questions we talked about was i i had a story of watching it as a six-year-old and uh, getting the answers right when nobody else on the show did and how that sort of, you know, I felt very cocky at the time. And I hope I'm a little bit more of a humble, respectable person today, but that definitely did set me off on the, you know, this is a goal. This is something I want to achieve eventually. So you were watching it when you were six years old and you knew answers when you were six years old. Were you reading say, en encyclopedias before you went to bed or, you know, what were you consuming back then that was giving you knowledge? Um, a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, not necessarily specifically, you know, I wasn't reading A to Z sort of stuff. I was reading a lot of atlases. I really liked geography, just that sort of information. So and, you know, that was uh, I, I, one question that I knew out of the entire day uh, just happened to be one that nobody else got. And it was, it was about um, koalas eating eucalyptus, if I remember it right. So, um, you know, just just some sort of offhand thing. And I think that really is uh, kind of the key to being good at trivia and, and having that is just be curious, be inquisitive, read as much as you can and, you know, somehow create connections where if you hear the word koala, the next thing you might think is eucalyptus. So it just pops into your head like that. So obviously, you know, a lifetime of that curiosity got you to that stage, but was there any, you know, additional prep that you went through? You know, I've heard reports of you know, Jeopardy champions going through past questions, mm -hmm. you know, reading yeah. certain other books. Like what was the extra prep like as you knew you were going to be on the show? Um, yeah, I, I definitely did a little bit of that. I don't think quite as much as, as some other people do. Um, one thing is I just had basically seen every episode of Jeopardy for the last 15 years before I went on. 
Um, so, you know, just had that experience, had that, that recall. Um, I, I did do a little bit. There's this website, jarchive, j-archive.com, where they have the entire collection of past questions. And that's where I learned you one by one dollar. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 that's the proof out there. I can't lie about it because there's, there's documentation. Um, and, and so I think just going through that, I think one of the things was I, I recognized areas that I didn't necessarily have um, um, the full depth of knowledge. I remember, you know, doing my best to try to remember all the books of the Bible, something that comes up a lot. Um, and, you know, again, this is something that I heard uh, James Holtzauer talking about is he just basically read a lot of, of elementary school primers and middle school primers, because that's one of the things you don't necessarily need to know the, you know, complex uh, back and forth and philosophical debate that Abraham Lincoln went through to develop the Emancipation Proclamation. You just kind of need to know that he did issue the Emancipation Proclamation and 1863 and led to the 13th Amendment. And, you know, there you go. Uh, it's a lot about just having those connections in the background as opposed to necessarily full depth on what these 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 topics are. So that's a really interesting point there. So for Jeopardy, it's so much general knowledge. But what you've chosen your career in is so specific. You know, which do you prefer? Do you, do you like knowing a lot about a lot or do you really prefer diving deep into certain subjects? Um, I, I think I am a little bit more of a generalist. You know, you, you hear the uh, was the fox or the hedgehog type personalities who narrow down or just sort of scamper over everything. Um, and I think I am a little bit more of a generalist trying to hear a little bit about about everything. Um, and that's, you know, honestly, my I, I started out just as a generic lawyer, uh, which I think is definitely a career where you're supposed to have a little bit of an idea about everything out there. Uh, it definitely does help, though, when you want to, to dig into a very specific uh, um, topic. And, you know, frankly, I've just really been lucky that the one I got into has been beverage alcohol because there's just so much to it. It's so interesting. And, you know, at the end of the day, I can always be sitting there with a beer in hand and realize that maybe I'm doing something to make this world a little bit better. Right. So for anyone who hasn't heard you speak before, what exactly do you do at Sobos? Um, yeah, I, I, my title is Regulatory General Counsel. Uh, so I am one of our regulatory research attorneys. Uh, I, I have a law degree. I am registered in the state of Colorado with a bar, so I have all that official records. Uh, but I'm, I'm much more of a, a researcher. So I, I'm just reading laws, interpreting them, uh, understanding where the nuances of the states have, what their interpretations of things are. And then um, processing all that in order for our civil ship compliant product to, to manage, to uh, understand what, how we need to help our clients, how we can support this industry. Um, and then, you know, write up about it. I write a lot of blogs. I appear on a lot of webinars, go to conferences to just sort of talk about what I have read, what I'm thinking about that, and how other people can hopefully take that information and, and, and move forward on it. And you put out such fascinating information over the past couple of years in CBP. We really appreciate that. But I like to go back exactly to kind of what you mentioned a couple of minutes ago when you were six years old. And I, mm -hmm. I think you and I are close to the same age. If we had met back then and there on a playground that I had said, hey, Alex, what do you want to be when you grow up? What response would you have given me? When I was six, uh, I would have been a paleontologist. How about 16? Uh, at 16, 
Uh, that was a little bit of like a transition period for me, kind of when I realized like, so I started out with, with paleontology, being a fan of dinosaurs, definitely want to do that. Uh, and then kind of realized that I'm not in for going out on camping trips and, and digging up bones in the Gobi Desert for Even months. Even if they're time. dinosaur bones? I'm sorry? Even if they're dinosaur bones? Well, that was probably the one thing that might have gotten me interested in it, but but not quite enough. Uh, then I really got into astronomy, really got into uh, studying the stars, the basic level cosmolog cosmetolo cosmology. I always have to make sure about that. You don't say the wrong one. Uh, and, and it was kind of around 16 that I realized, frankly, I wasn't very good. I wasn't that good at math. Uh, you know, I could puzzle myself through a calculus class, but I didn't understand any of it, didn't really have the ability to take that to the next level. So maybe my dreams of being a, you know, a, a, a nuclear physicist and cracking what quarks are all about wasn't really in the, in the works. Um, so at 16, I think I was a little bit much more of, of kind of up in the air. I, there was a, a hot second where I wanted to get into politics which might have been uh, been some of the reason going into to law school eventually, but uh, I was always much more in the kind of the background area, understanding policy, understanding uh, the, the principles behind rules as opposed to getting up on a stage and stumping for anything. I, I know in high school, it was always my most passionate teachers that almost influenced my career path. I had a I think I was a U.S. government teacher when I was a sophomore in high school, and it kind of gave me that same feeling that maybe I should consider, you know, majoring in something political science related. It was a fascinating course. I, I love learning. I didn't go that direction either. But when you have a strong teacher who inspires you, it can really change the direction of your life. And, you know, looking at your high school days, did you have a teacher or someone in your life that motivated you to take your you know, education in a certain direction? Um, not, not specifically, because I think the teacher that inspired me the best was, was one of my history teachers. I had him for uh, junior year and senior year. He taught AP U.S. and European history. What was his name? Uh, Mr. McGinnis. I had a Mr. Martin that had a very similar experience to me. Yeah. And I think that it's, it didn't necessarily inspire me to go and become a historian, but I think it was so much of what he ingrained was just the process of learning of how to engage a subject, how to really dig into it and develop your own thesis, develop your own ideas about it, uh, that, that really pushed me forward, um, as opposed to specifically into a, a, a career path necessarily. Um, and, and I think that there were, you know, definitely other teachers I had that, you know, enabled me to learn the subject matter and were, were great in that. But it was not necessarily what they were teaching, but how they were doing it, how they they made that interesting and uh, accessible for other areas. You know, you could take those lessons that Mr. McGinnis gave me about history and apply them then to political science or to literature or to really so many other fields that I think it's this, again, this sort of general how to kind of re read and recognize the world around you that that kind of motivated me more. And I, I love that because I love reading a book and it could be about a completely different industry than we're active in. But if you have that one takeaway, you can apply to your life and make it better. It's more so about the process and the exact detail that the person's reading or writing about. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, looking at that philosophy, you obviously made the decision to go to college. What was your major? Uh, my major was in international affairs. Uh, and, and so, again, it was starting off a little bit on the, uh, the, the political science tract. 
Uh, for a little bit, I looked into journalism. Um, I, <laughs> for, for whatever reasons in college, I, I was reading The Economist a lot and really kind of wanted to, to join that, become a, a, a contributor, an op-ed columnist at some point. Uh, and then I kind of, I took a journalism class and realized I really didn't like the beat reporting, you know, just talking to a random person on the street and trying to get their, get their, their take on it. Uh, it just wasn't comfortable for me as much. And so it was, um, didn't seem like the easiest path of, of trying to work up from the bottom that way, uh, that I know so many reporters have to do. Um, and, and so I just fell back a little bit more on general international affairs, which I, I really liked because it was very much a, a very broad disciplinary uh, area is you could take history classes, you could take philosophy classes, you take language classes and get a little bit of everything uh, to create sort of a, a perhaps a gestalt understanding of, of where you're going forward. And at this part of your life, was craft beer playing any role in any of it? Uh, only at night when I had stopped reading for, for class, um, you know, by the, by that time, by the time I graduated, I was of age and, uh, you know, I was born in Boulder, Colorado, went to school here. And so we had plenty of opportunities around here to get craft, great craft beer. And, and so it's always been a comfort, even if it hasn't always been my occupation. Now, there's so many people I talk to, especially in the craft beer space, they're in Colorado now but they were somewhere else prior and they made the move to come to beautiful Colorado, but you're born and raised Boulder, Colorado. Did you ever think about leaving the state or Boulder in general? Um, frankly, not seriously. Um, a, a lot of, of my friends have over the years, uh, it's you know, a little bit surprising of, of how many people do end up leaving here. Um, at least even the state, I understand, uh, um, Boulder can be a little bit of a difficult place to especially start out, uh, it's kind of a, a, a bubbly area where it's very high prices and everything. Uh, but, you know, honestly, I just always kind of felt really lucky to have had that, that great start here and to not have had to move here. And seeing how many people do want to move here, I, I, I guess my tongue-in-cheek answer is I didn't want to step on their dreams by showing that people do want to move out of here. It's, if they're trying to get in here, then who am I to say it's a bad, re bad thing to do? So that's interesting. So did you ever even think about when you're going through the application process for either colleges or law schools about going elsewhere or was your mind stuck on staying home? Um, for undergrad, I think I was very much, much in the mindset of staying home there. I had a lot of people, uh, family, friends, everybody trying to encourage me to go out of state, but uh, it was definitely very comfortable to stay here. And, and honestly, having in-state tuition was a huge motivator. Um, you know, it's, it's why spend quadruple the amount to go out of state that when I could just stay here and get, uh, just as good, have my friends, have my family here. Um, I did in law school, I did apply to several places out of state, uh, and got waitlisted, got accepted to a couple, but, uh, again, having that access to, to see law school, which is, you know, really good. It's, it's not necessarily, uh, top of mind. When I think a lot of people think of law schools, they generally think of places on the coast. Uh, but but I really have to give a great plug to, to CU Law. It's a fantastic school. I think hopefully set me out really well, and, and I got a lot of value out of it. So uh, no regrets for, for staying here for that.
You know, I totally respect and understand the decision to stay, you know, in your hometown. I live in Norfolk, Virginia, and, you know, it's a very transient community. We have a large military presence here. A lot of people you meet are not from the area. But for me, it's a fantastic place to call home. You know, I've, I've got the beach 30 minutes away. I've got the mountains two hours away. I've got an international airport that's not really an international airport. But, you know, I can get to anywhere I want to be. And it's nice to have a place that you love to call home base. I think, you know, having that community in our backyards that we've fallen in love with, which is the way it sounds like you are with Boulder, is really something special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really value it, really cherish it. And, um, you know, I, I think if, if opportunities did present themselves, there was the the uh, compelling reason to leave. It's not like I would, would ever say no. Uh, I just don't have any specific drivers to kicking me out of here or really, really taking me away at this moment. Um, and, and yeah, again, I think it's, there's just so much around here that is how I want to be spending my days anyway. Uh, this is a perfect place for that. I guess we are just missing that beach. So very, very jealous of you for that. But I don't utilize it enough. I prefer yeah. the mountains. But, you know, looking at your journey and where you are today, I mean, your life is so much around beverage alcohol. You, you talk about drinking a craft beer, you know, after a hard day of college or whatnot. But when did you have that moment that you realized, oh, I, I really like this higher quality level of beverage. I really enjoy visiting the tap rooms nearby. Did you have that one experience you can pinpoint that had a big influence on your life that made you, you know, not just want to drink it, but have a career in it? Um, not necessarily. I think that it's it's so much just in the zeitgeist around here of of it was expected. Um, you know, growing up, my dad would drink, uh, it was, it was still back in the, you know, before there was a craft beer, uh, craft brewery on every corner type of days. Uh, but he, he would drink, uh, Boulder beer, uh, it was brewed around here. Great original craft brewery company. We miss, uh, I drink Boston beer, Sam Adams, uh, Sierra Nevada. So it was always kind of around that. Those are at least the types of beers you should be, be looking at and not the more generic domestic beers that are out there. Um, and, and so it's always kind of been there. You know, I think that that one of the first beers that I, I bought at a liquor store legally was uh, uh, Odell uh, when it got there, their St. Luplian. So it was just always the matter of, you know, you look in this section of the beer cases, not this other section. Unless maybe you're going to a party and need to provide for, for 30, 40 people at a time. Um, and, and I think it was always kind of a, an idea out there that a lot of people have had great success in the beer industry. Uh, there is really something very interesting about it, an area that we can dig into. It's, it was out there as an option. Uh, but, but my actual entry into the beverage alcohol market to what I'm doing today was really just a matter of luck. It, it wasn't necessarily something I, I sought out and, and uh, dug into. It was much more just happened to look at a, a board of listing available jobs, everything ranging from, you know, entry level uh, uh, partner track at a, a law firm to government to uh, really anything out there. It happened to see one that was um, entry-level research position, downtown Boulder, beverage alcohol law. And it was like, well, that's what I want. Yeah. I hit so many buckets and then it's not insurance law. So it's, it's really doubly bad. You know, nothing against where you are today because your position is one so many people would envy. But, you know, when you were looking at those job boards, did you have that job that you were hoping to see? 
Um, I think it, really this was very much the job I was hoping to see is, is I knew I never really wanted to be in court. Um, I didn't really want to have that 18 hour per day, uh, you know, 80 hours a week trying desperately to bring in as many workable billable hours as you can type of job. Uh, I very much wanted to have an in, in house where it's much more of a, a you know, nine to five sort of arrangement. You have one client who you're really focused on. Uh, and, and I did really like this, this sort of research position where it's not necessarily, you know, drafting contracts or, or, or building up uh, court documents. It's, just read this text and tell us what you think this means. And then how can we go forward and apply this in a day-to-day -day environment? And, and so much of really what I got out of law school was um, uh, the idea of demystifying law, of taking these, you know, backwards clauses and here wins and heretofores and thereby's and trying to say like what that means in plain speak, plain English. And, and I think that that's really such a value that I get out of this job, out of this position is, uh, you know, taking these long statutes about who can get a license and how can they ship and just saying, no, this is how you take it and how you apply it to yourself. And I think that's so important for the craft beer industry. It's like when you go to a doctor and the doctor is talking in a language you don't understand, you leave confused. But mm -hmm. when you go to a doctor who takes the time to sit next to you and, you know, use layman's terms to explain what's going on, you respect that doctor and they become someone you want to continue seeing. I feel you have a very similar approach in craft beer. You take these topics that are really deep topics and use those words you went over just a minute ago that most people don't make sense of and you make it accessible. You know, what do you love about that? I mean, because you get to talk to brewers about, hey, here's how you look at direct to consumer and here's things you consider. But instead of, you know, taking the lawyers, you know, legalese route and using all the big words and phrases, you make it so easy to understand. You know, how does it make you feel when you talk to a brewery owner, then you see the results of them actually putting it into action? Well, I, I first really appreciate you, uh, you know, backing me up there and, 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 uh, saying that I actually do this, you know, it's what my, my ambition is for. So it's glad to hear that I'm actually. I hope it gets you a little... raise at Sophos. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, just talk to the right people. Um, <laughs> it's, I, I think that it's, again, that that real world application that really makes this much more satisfying. And it's it's one thing to draft a bunch of, of background rules and say, you know, follow this step, this step, this step, and maybe you'll get a result as opposed to standing up there and, and, really giving something that, that people can take forward and, and act on and can, can operate on and know specifically like, oh, it's not just some vague idea of maybe I need to get a license, but no, here specifically is a license. Here specifically is a route to go about it. Uh, and, and to really then, you know, I think that this has a, a double impact in that it one hopefully prevents people from doing things they shouldn't. Uh, saves them from from a lot of headaches down the road or, or, you know, making the industry look bad in general. But then it can drive forward and, and, and impel greater change. Uh, you know, I think that we've seen a lot of interest in the last couple of years in the beer industry about direct consumer shipping. And I, I, I like to think that we have a little bit of an influence on that is, is by demonstrating how wineries have been doing it, by talking with the beer industry, by talking with breweries, and really explaining that there is this pattern out there, this are these these systems uh, available, at least within a limited degree, 
this is how it can be done. And this is how we even make it better and make it bigger and, and make it uh, more of an available thing so that everybody really can enjoy this. That's, that's really a satisfaction is when uh, you, you hear a brewery talking about that, you know, oh, we've always wanted to break into the Ohio market, but never have been able to. This is our access. This is our point. And, and we've seen X number of sales and X number of happy consumers this year, thanks to understanding how this, this operates. Yeah, it makes you feel good, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. This is interesting, and I'm probably overanalyzing your life right now, but it seems like there's a, some interesting dichotomies go going on. Like, let's look at, you know, you said you're a generalist, but you're in some, some super specific field, you know, of beverage alcohol law right now. And you said earlier in today's call, just the feeling of being on like the Jeopardy stage, it just felt amazing to have that opportunity. But on the other side of things, you're talking about how you just love to see other people succeed. You know, lo looking at you and all that's beautiful. What motivates you the most? Like, you know, what do you wake up each day and hope to do? We're getting deep now, Alex. Yeah, it's so philosophical. This is like, I, I, I wonder if you're writing a biography about me now. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's, it's honestly also really hard because I think so much of those things are, are just in your background. It's, it's, I'm not waking up saying this is what I need to, this is what I need to do to, to feel satisfied today. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, I think very glibly, one thing I really look forward to when I wake up is, is going back to bed is, is you know, making it through the day so I can go back to sleep. But then it's making sure that when I do that, it's it's from a comfortable and, and satisfied perspective. It's not that I'm at the end of the day worrying about what did I tell this person? Did I say something wrong? What am I going to do about this tomorrow? Uh, those ongoing sort of, of things that keep a person up at night. It's if I have, um, you know, met the responsibilities, the obligations that, that people have for, for asking me for things if I have uh, communicated that clearly, if I have led somebody hopefully down the right path and can go to sleep at night comfortably, that's that's really kind of what I look forward to, I think. Do you have any personal goals in your life you hope to achieve over, say, the next decade? Uh, personally, I've, <laughs> I, I, I do have ambitions to write and publish a novel. Uh, so oh, this is that, good. Now explain. We're, we're interested now. Yeah. Now it's like really getting out of far afield. Um, um, it's, you know, I think kind of something that a lot of people have in the back of their mind of you read a book and you're like, wow, this is so great. I wish I could do this too. Uh, and I definitely read a lot. And so have that sort of, of idea of, well, I, I could probably do this maybe. Uh, and I think that especially in 2020, a lot of people have the idea, well, now I have a lot of free time. So uh, here's my opportunity. And, and so I have an idea. I've been working on it. I've got some drafts written down and it, it goes slowly because it's spend most of my days actually doing productive work for, for what I'm getting paid for. But it's, it's, I, I definitely hope that within 10 years I've gotten something out and it's not still trying to plug away at it. Um, so we'll, we'll see with that, but I, I know that it's, it's very difficult not only to just complete something, but then to actually bring it into provocation to bring it to fruition. So uh, yeah, I think that that's a, a, a very high level goal I have. Um, you know, otherwise, I think it's a matter of just furthering my, my work here, furthering my understanding of the industry and, uh, you know, doing doing the best that we can to expand this. I think that if in, in 10 years we can look at that map for direct consumer beer shipping and there's 
20, 30 more states. And they're saying we can do this because we understand how it works with wine. We recognize that breweries are perfectly capable of following compliant rules and filing taxes. And we can now expand this to a national market. I mean, that would really, really uh, hearten me a great deal. No, me as well. Now, looking back on your personal goals there, because you were incredibly vague a moment ago. And <laughs> well, I, I don't think I'm going to write a biography on you just yet. And I'm probably not going to publish your book, but maybe yeah, who knows, you know, that being a publisher is not one of my personal goals. But, you know, if I was that publisher, mm -hmm. what is your 30 second pitch of what this book is going to be about? <laughs> uh, well, you know, they say that it's you should write about what you know. So it's a science fiction murder mystery. Uh, you know, set in in uh, many hundreds of years in the future where the Earth has uh, uh, undergone some sort of collapse, but then there is a, another colony on a different planet several star systems away that they have, have, have set up a, a colony on, and just how these different, uh, you know, the, the remnants of society on Earth interacting with that colony out there and... Um, you know, I, every day I have another, oh, this is going to be a great way to talk about, uh, you know, cell phone culture or, oh, this is a, 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 uh, a prediction of environmental catastrophe to come. So I, I don't want to get over my head in, in kind of themes that will come out of it. But it's, you know, this general idea of, of how do these different futures play out and, and move forward. Um, no, it sounds fascinating. And yeah, how I, far I, along are you? Because it sounds like you've thought about this quite a bit, which I mm -hmm. love. But have you pinned many words thus far, or is it more so just a? Um, yeah, I, I have a, a, a couple chapters drafted out. I'm, you know, one of these processes is that you write a sentence and it takes you an hour to write the one sentence, and then it takes you three days rewriting that sentence a hundred different times. Uh, so it's, it's it's kind of slow going, and I'm going back and revising things. You write a, a, a paragraph, and then you realize, oh wait, no, I miss interpreted the character's motivation there. So I have to correct that. Um, so yeah, I, I do have, um, you know, I guess it's about some 15,000 words already written down, um, a fair amount. I have a general idea of where the rest of the book is going, major plot points, character developments. Uh, it's just, you know, a matter of, of finding the time and you know, when it's it's nine o'clock at night and you're thinking, do I want to watch another episode on Netflix and have a beer or do I want to work on this? It's you know hard necessarily to get motivated to, to keep working, but it's one of those laborers of love, as they say, right? Absolutely. I find sometimes I nearly have to put 30 minutes on my schedule with a specific mm -hmm. task so I actually knock it out. How are you making yourself write some words down? Are you telling yourself that I'm going to write 300 words this week? Are you putting that little appointment on your schedule? That way the time's already blocked off. What's working for you? Yeah, I really should do that. Uh, often it's, it's uh, I, I have the idea, well, weekend's coming up. I don't have any plans, not going up to the mountains or anything. So I'm going to work from, you know, one to four on Sunday just to get a little bit of time set off. And then Monday morning comes around and I haven't done anything. So it's always kind of kicking myself in the, in the pants. Uh, I, I just try to keep up the document on my computer at all times. So at least I'm seeing it and getting that like, I really should be working on this mindset. Um, there, I have thought about, you know, just as you say, specifically scheduling off time, taking a couple of days off of work here or there to maybe work on it, but um, nothing specifically. I think that this is, yeah, I, I, I had the idea coming into 2022 of, of having my, my New Year's resolution to be 
uh, not a procrastination, get to things, at least schedule things, get this mindset. And uh, by now, I kind of think it might be something better to do in 2023. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that, that there are, are ways I really should get better at this. But more or less, it's just kind of keeping it in mind and kind of trying to keep myself self-motivated as best I can. It's tough sometimes. And like you, I also work from home and I was working on a project last summer that required me to pin a lot of words, record some videos. I made myself go to Charlottesville, Virginia area. I stayed in a cabin by myself and told myself for three days, I was going to focus on nothing but this. And it took that for me to actually complete the project, just making myself in a situation where I had nothing else to do but that. I had very poor internet, so I couldn't even communicate with people like you in the outside world. So I was forced just to write the words. And I got it done. It felt great, but it was really hard to motivate myself to do that. So when you are ready to go to a cabin in the woods, and if you'd like a companion, let me know. I'd love to join you. We can drink beers at night and motivate each other during the day. Yeah, it sounds just lovely. <laughs> So I want to go back to like, what else do you enjoy doing? I, I know you love beer, you love trivia, but how else do you escape? Because you spend so many hours a day, you know, researching and reading. What helps you kind of clear your mind and start fresh the next day? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big uh, reader as well. So I'd always try to have a book on the side and sort of uh, work through that, kind of clear my mind with that. Uh, Boulder is is such a mainstay of active lifestyles so honestly it's it's I, I never actually like to say that i do a lot of activities because in comparison i'm nothing uh but you, you might be able to see i have a, a nice bike off the side here so i like to get around and and bike around the neighborhood bike up along the trails we have here um in the winter we i go snowboarding when i can uh very close to the mountains so that that's great to do um, I'm also a big movie buff and, and really into classic movies, foreign movies. So that's, that's a great way to sort of spend an hour thinking about nothing else, but this little, uh, plot and characters and what's going on there and to let the rest of the world sort of, of disappear for a little bit, at least. Yeah. Having those personal escapes, I think is really important, especially when we immerse ourselves in our jobs so much and just in the current state of we're in the pandemic right now is a lot of mm -hmm lack of human interaction it's some, nice to have those escapes certainly now i mean you spend your days you know helping the craft beverage industry through alcohol regulation you become an expert on things like interstate distribution of alcohol now you fight so much for direct to consumer how often do you have beer delivered to your home well i live in colorado which does not you allow have many great options i know that right right, right. what well, i'm saying is that we do not allow direct to consumer shipping of beer uh, so very rarely is my answer. And, you know, certainly from out of state locations, never at all. If any regulators are listening, I should have um, done my research a little bit better prior to this call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please disclaimers, disclaimers. Um, it's so, so very rarely to, to my house. Uh, again, it's, we have a lot of great breweries that are, are within biking distance. So that's often preferred way to go about it is just to, to get out and move myself. You know, this is get out of your house, get out of your, your workspace. Uh, I just get a little bit out to experience a brewery directly and then, you know, buy a six pack there, buy a 12 pack there and bring it home for, for later, uh, um, reading, I guess you should say, and how euphemistic do you want to be? Uh, I, I, you know, this is not beer. I, I am an active member of some wine clubs, so I do get wine delivered directly to me and, uh, fairly often, maybe once a month or so uh just a couple bottles at a time and i know that if colorado changes their law 
allows me to purchase alcohol. I will definitely buy buy beer from out of state sources. I will definitely have some a uh, couple high level breweries out there that I'll be pinging right away. Sounds very enjoyable and like a fun hobby potentially to have in the future. Yeah, yeah. definitely looking forward to those days. Now, I'd love to kind of tie your two interests together, your interest in trivia with your interest in craft beer. Do you ever dive into craft beer related trivia? And do you have any, you know, facts that you just really love? Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's definitely, you know, when that opportunity comes around, I think that I, I, I almost feel compelled. I have to at least try. Um, honestly, one of my, my uh, spots that I'm not so great at when it comes to trivia are individual names. Uh, so just trying to recall things at a moment's notice, that's where I get into a little bit of trouble like that, or, you know, specifically names uh, uh, and then people sort of stuff. Uh, when it comes to specific craft beer related trivia, um, you know, nothing's kind of really leaping out of mind. I think that that's honestly this is something that I've been uh, discussing with, with my girlfriend. She is really into trivia as well, but much more from a question asker perspective. She really likes having that, uh, you know, the information on hand and then grilling people about it or researching it and seeing what people know. I much more prefer to just have the information in my head right away and sort of like quick recall. Um, so I can't necessarily come up with a good trivia question right on the spot like that. Uh, um, but, you know, I know there's a lot of out there. I think just understanding different styles, understanding who's out there, kind of where we've come from, who are the starters in this industry. Uh, that, that's always really fascinating and, and hope to dig more into that. Now, speaking of trivia, yesterday I saw this pop up on my, my news feed. I believe it was 1935. No one quote me on the year, but it was when beer was first canned. It happened actually here in Richmond, Virginia. So we just celebrated a big anniversary on that one. I thought it was a cool piece of semi-local trivia. Yeah. Really, yeah. Beer industry, for sure. Yeah, I, I love those sort of just, you know, didn't realize that that was the one thing or there were that little uh, that start date where you think it's just so ubiquitous when having never not canned beer. Well, yeah, that's one thing I truly love about trivia. I, I spent a lot of my high school days with friends on Saturday night just quizzing each other on trivial pursuit questions. And, you know, yeah. we wouldn't actually play the game. We would just read the questions back and forth for hours. We weren't even underage drinking at that time. We were just truly in love with playing trivia. Sure. And I remember I had a friend one time, and she was re I was reading the questions. You always tried to stump your friends. You got excited when they got the questions right. right. But then you got your mind blown when they threw out that answer that you're like, there's no way they're going to get this one. And I remember my friend, Christina, we were doing some question about something in England and the answer was the tower of London. And since mm. then I've become fascinated with castles. But when she said the tower of London, I'm like, no way this is right. And you turn <laughs> the card over. You're like, how in the world did you know that? You know, are there any pieces of knowledge that you have that you don't know why you know? It's like one time I was playing team trivia at a local place called Kali Cantina here in Virginia. And I knew the answer was Saskatchewan. And my friends looked at me like, why did you know that? Is there anything you've pulled out of your back pocket that people have looked at you and said, Alex, I know you know a lot, but that one just blew my mind. Oh, yeah, it's, it's definitely happened to me. I kind of am struggling to think of any individual case. Uh, um, but I, I that I'm just hearing my mom's voice actually ringing in my head right now about what, how did you get that? 
and and so much of it is it's unconscious it's subconscious you just sort of have this weird connection and yeah i'm you know not an astronomer in any type of professional capacity but just happen to have somebody you know mention a star and go oh yeah that's in that constellation i guess i heard it when i was 11 and happened to remember it but but there it is there it's sitting are there any tips you would recommend for everybody anybody just hold on to information like that i know a lot of people you know read things multiple times write it down what strategies have been valuable for you for retaining information yeah, repetition is really the great one because that's you, you hear something once and it might be interesting, but it's a little bit of a novelty. And so it flies out of your brain and you hear it again. You're like, oh, yeah, that did sound familiar. And then you still forget it. And it's a third time where you're like, oh, no, now I should really remember that. And, um, you know, I, I've heard this in relation to a lot of, of artificial intelligence, really. And, you know, I guess going back to Jeopardy with with IBM's Watson and, and that whole thing really what i've heard is the way that you create that sort of of software system is by having uh, uh interconnections and so you just have like a web of of knowledge so you hear one thing and then that leads to you, you hear tower of london and then you think okay well there's england and then there's anne boleyn and just a bunch of different shooting out points and from there, you can kind of, of of dredge up something. And that's definitely happened where, you know, I'm at pub trivia or something like that. And, you know, I know I've heard that answer, but it's not coming to me right away. But I remember where it deals with this person and that movie who was a director and there was this actor and their name started with a G and, oh, yeah, it's this. Um, so it is just a lot of, of, you know, creating connections and trying to establish that that web of logic within your mind as, as, as best you can. And what percentage of the time when you throw out an answer to these questions is making your best educated guess versus actually knowing 100%? Um, it definitely depends on, on, on scenario. Uh, if it's, you know, very difficult trivia, something maybe more like 30%. Uh, other cases where, you know, it's naming the 50 different states or something like that, well, there's not that many options, so it could probably really up that percentage. Um, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I'm not sure necessarily how many plugs we want to get into, but, but after Jeopardy, I really went on a binge of trying to find as many other, like, you know, what's the next fix out there? Uh, and, and I joined eventually this organization called Learned League, uh, which actually it's been in the news a little bit this, this last year, I've seen a bunch of interviews with uh, the person who puts it on, uh, and it's like an invitation, invitation only sort of, of online trivia thing. And it is can get very, very in-depth, very, very particular, very hard. Uh, I think with with their general questions, though, I'm a little bit of a, you know, 30, 30, 30. Uh, 30% I really know. 30% is pretty much an educated guess. And the other 30, I'm just putting down a name and, and crossing my fingers. And you said, what's that called? The Learning League? Learned League. So is it a competition or what is the inter... Yeah, there, there are, are competitive aspects to it. Uh, again, it's it's an invitation-only thing. They're trying to, you know, limit to how many, much access is there. Uh, and it's been this slowly developing organization, basically, of the last 20-ish years, as I understand. You know, started out as just a bunch of friends online quizzing each other and has developed into this much, much broader organization. Um, and it's, they conduct four seasons every year. 
where for about six weeks you're you're part of a you're 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 set into a uh, a group of other contestants, and every day you get six questions, and you're competing against one other person for those six questions, and you get to bet against them of of how much they know. So you can assign uh, questions of uh, points zero, one, or two, or three. Uh, and, and it's uh, a matter of how much you think that other person um, knows that. And there's a ton of statistics on the page as well. So if you see that somebody really knows uh, geography, then you might put them down for one point on a question of name this river. And if they don't necessarily know so much about classical music, you might put them down for three points on a question about Rimsky-Korsakov. Uh, and, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. So there's a competitive element to it. But... I mean, honestly, some of the people on there are, are there are a lot of Jeopardy champions on there. Some of them are just lights out. And how could you possibly know this much about that many things? Um, so it's it's been a little bit of a humbling experience at times, too. And I think that really the best way to go forward is just to be competitive with yourself and to I you know want to recognize what I know. And if I'm getting a little bit better, it doesn't matter if I'm better than another person. It's just my personal development absolutely that personal growth is extremely important now i remember you know watching jeopardy growing up i used to always when they would broadcast the final jeopardy category i would just throw out a ridiculous answer before even seeing the question mm -hmm. like say it was like u.s presidents i would yell dwight eisenhower and sure. you know have my fingers crossed that i got it right i remember the one day i got the question right before i even knew the question i just knew the category it just is like silly but makes you feel good you know, if someday say 25 years in the future, there's a Jeopardy question and the ultimate answer is going to be you, Alex Coral. What's the question going to be? Oh, uh, well, I think you mean answer for one thing. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just had to be very, very nerdy about that. Um, I, I really don't know. I think there's, there's, you know, a lot of, of areas this can go into. Uh, I probably would not necessarily be be the response for, you know, I, I think that it's, I could go in for something with beer, with alcohol. I doubt that if, you know, they might have a question about direct consumer shipping one day. I doubt that I would be necessarily the response there, uh, but perhaps. Um, so maybe I'll just be very, very ambitious and uh, cocksure and say something about that uh, novel that, you know, in 20 years might get published. No, that's exciting. Are you able to share the title? I don't have a title yet. No. You don't have a working title. No, no. Well, Alex, yet. this has been a blast today just hanging out with you. I really hope we get to share a beer before too long. Absolutely. I hope before too long I'm also pre-ordering that book as well. I, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, we'll all keep our fingers crossed on that. But uh, again, if my my, my uh, bosses are, are listening to this at all, don't worry. It's not taking up time from my actual work. I'm still plenty of time to to talk to to you all to be out there and to be uh, providing, you know, whatever support I can for this great industry. Well, keep up the great work, Alex. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think that that's it. You know, it's um, the next questions you have will be for my biography. So maybe we'll just uh, keep those for next time then, right? <laughs> I'll reach out soon. Have a great day, Alex. Talk you to too. you soon. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Cheers. We are proud to keep CBP 100% free and accessible to all. If you enjoy conversations like this, please hit the subscribe button.